This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. What do you know? Here's another Clarence Thomas ethics story. Now, this one is not uh, reported by ProPublica like some of those early ones. It's Democrats on the Senate Finance Committee putting out a report about Justice Thomas back in 1999, having received a loan from another wealthy friend, a guy by the name of Anthony Welters, who then had to turn over documents to the committee chaired by Ron Wyden. And uh, Clarence Thomas using the money to buy a luxury Prevost Marathon motor coach. The loan was for $267,000. And then uh, Thomas paid some of the interest on it. And in 2008, his pal Walters just said, okay, I'm forgiving the rest. So Thomas may not have paid any or even a substantial portion of the principal on the loan, putting aside the interest payments. So Ryan Wyden is saying regular Americans don't get wealthy friends to forgive huge amounts of debt so they can buy a second home and calling on the justice to say, one, did he pay taxes on this? Because if somebody gives you a loan, large or small, and then says you don't have to pay all of it or most of it back, that would be considered income, according to my understanding. And then secondly, why did he not put it on his financial disclosure form? Again, at the time of the loan, I think it probably should have gone on there anyway, but certainly by the time the loan was, quote, forgiven, uh, the justice would have had a responsibility to do that. So... Um, We'll let you know if um, Clarence Thomas says anything in response. All right. I just, you know, so heartbreaking that we're going through this again. Another mass shooting, the deadliest one this year in Lewiston, Maine. The crazy person this time, because it is crazy to go shooting up a bunch of random human beings. It's a former military firearms instructor who, and here is the infuriating part, had been committed just this past summer to a mental health facility saying he was hearing voices. So somebody clearly screwed up, dropped the ball. Why would they let this guy out? If they let this guy out, why is he able to uh, own guns? or purchase guns, it's, you know, it goes beyond the question of what gun control advocates might raise, who should be able to buy a gun. If anybody would be qualified, it would be a former military arms instructor whose name I'm not going to mention. And I just don't understand. 
you always have these different government agencies. Well, the hospital was notified, but the police weren't notified, but the FBI wasn't notified. And as a result, all these people are dead. As I'm speaking to you, the death toll is estimated at 16, but that could well go up uh, by the time you hear the podcast. Just, I guess it feels like we haven't had one of these in a while. And it's just so tragic and depressing. President Biden held a state dinner for the Prime Minister of Australia last night and wisely uh, the First Lady canceled the planned entertainment, the B-52s, because of what's going on in the world. They talked a lot at the bilateral news conference about Israel and Hamas. And I think that was the right call. You know, you, I, mean, I think they had the military band play or something, but you don't want to be having a joyous festification with what's going on in the world. And um, it seems to me that the tone was subdued from the reports that I've read. All right. The Republicans' long national nightmare is over. Story number one. Mike Johnson is now the Speaker of the House. And it turns out the media have a lot to say about Mike Johnson. But since he was so quickly, at least his name was so quickly put into nomination before the press could do its usual vetting, this is all coming out now sort of after the fact. Now, look, you got to give Mike Johnson some credit because he apparently had good enough relationships with both the conservative wing of the party and the so-called more moderate wing of the party that he was able to win. Not only was he able to win, he was able to win unanimously, not a single Republican vote against him. So he went past the Magic 217. Uh, He is a Trump ally, as we'll get to in a second. And he just seems to be one of these people everyone describes as a nice guy, but he is from the very conservative wing of the party. And I think... So people might ask, well, why didn't the moderates block him? Uh, well, I think everybody's just exhausted and embarrassed and feeling like there's got to be somebody who can be speaker so that Congress can function again. Um, here, you know, he's inexperienced. I, I read somewhere, in, not in 140 years has there been somebody so inexperienced becoming House Speaker? But the longer you serve, the more enemies you make. And so maybe his four terms, a relatively short tenure for somebody becoming House Speaker, uh, turned out to be an advantage. But just to give you the flavor of this, Mike Johnson has never met Chuck Schumer. Mike Johnson has never met Mitch McConnell. Mike Johnson has never chaired a committee. So he's got a big learning curve, let's put it that way, especially at a time when it's about three weeks from now, and I think he's going to go for a stopgap funding bill. Uh, The government would shut down as it came to the brink of doing. Last time when Kevin McCarthy averted a shutdown, and that ended up costing him his job as Speaker. But let me give you kind of a report or an update on how the media are now handling this guy. And by the way, other senators and maybe a couple of House members even are saying, 
I had to Google Mike Johnson to find out more about him. I think a lot of journalists were in the same position. New York Times analysis piece, headline, The Far Right Gets Its Man of the House. Piece goes on to say he wasn't the person whom the most extreme element of House Republicans really wanted. That was Jim Jordan, the godfather of the far right. It has a uh, slightly mafia-esque tone to it, doesn't it? Who was ultimately too toxic to ascend to the top post. But New Speaker Mike Johnson of Louisiana, a man unknown to most Americans, is a second choice that the far right can enthusiastically embrace. He shares the deeply conservative ideology of Jordan, but lacks the confrontational profile or hard-edged style of Jim Jordan. In fact, he has little profile or public profile at all. Like that in 2016, the most obscure lawmaker to rise to the helm of the House since Denny Hastert. Johnson has a reputation at all, says the Times. It says a savvy and smooth constitutional lawyer who wrote a brief offering a legal justification for trying to overturn the 2020 election and was a defender of President Trump against impeachment. Republicans see the fact that he's virtually unknown outside his Louisiana district as an advantage that he can, you know, he's a blank slate. He can introduce himself to the public on his own terms. But there should be no mistaking his extremely conservative views on social issues such as abortion rights and same-sex marriage, which Democrats can be expected to aggressively highlight in their effort to tie the more mainstream Republicans to their new leader. Um, But I don't think he can be demonized as easily as, let's say, uh, Jim Jordan for the simple reason that, you know, virtually no one in America knew who this guy was. So if the press really piles on with all this negative reporting, uh, that certainly may concern Democrats, maybe some independents, but I think Republicans will have the same reaction to that as they do to the negative coverage of Donald Trump and the four indictments of Donald Trump. You know, the guy hasn't even found you know, the keys to the Speaker's office yet, and the left-leaning press is dumping on him. So here's a piece by Washington Post liberal columnist Ruth Marcus. The new Speaker, Mike Johnson, might be more dangerous, she writes, than the firebrand Jim Jordan. For Jordan's shirt-sleeves demeanor and wrestler's pugnacity, Substitute a bespectacled, low-key presentation, a law degree, and an unswerving commitment to conservative dogma and former President Trump. This is not an upgrade. It is Jordan in a more palatable package, says Ruth Marcus. Evidently smoother, seemingly smarter, and therefore potentially more effective. So he's in the middle of his fourth term. He was the moving force behind a Supreme Court brief back in the, at the end of 2020 that laid the uh, groundwork for, the, for January 6th, at least the way that Ruth sees it. He rallied fellow Republicans to support Texas's bid to overturn the election results. 
in a lawsuit that fizzled almost as soon as it was filed. The Texas AG, Ken Paxton, sought to have Supreme Court intervene in the election by blocking the certification uh, in four swing states, which would mean Joe Biden would not be considered the next president. Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So the Johnson brief, I guess one of these friends of the court briefs, and he got a bunch of other um, Republican members to sign on to it, was a full-throated endorsement, uh, this Washington Post column says, of the independent state legislature theory, which SCOTUS knocked down. The brief said that under the Constitution, only state legislatures, without any review by state courts or other state parties, have the power to set the rules for choosing presidential electors. Now that means you win the popular vote in the state and the politicians in the legislature don't like you or of the other party, they can just come up with their own electors, known popularly as fake electors, rather than follow the will of the people. Well, that sounds a bit disturbing. Before uh, he was elected to Congress, he was a top lawyer at the Alliance Defending Freedom, a group that opposes abortion, same-sex marriage, and LGBTQ rights. So I thought that same-sex marriage, how many years are we now? Uh, eight years after the Supreme Court ruling making it the law of the land. I mean, I thought it was pretty broadly accepted. I know that some people still don't like it or are uncomfortable with it, et cetera, but it's not um, a top-of-the-agenda issue. Um, after backing a federal ban on abortion after 15 weeks, Johnson also served on um, two legal teams defending Donald Trump during impeachment. Okay, here's CNN. Johnson's past includes harsh anti-gay statements, including support for criminalizing gay sex in the mid-2000s. The new speaker called homosexuality inherently unnatural and a dangerous lifestyle that could destroy America. Uh, your race, creed, and sex are what you are, Johnson said at that time. This is... Uh, um, it would lead to legalized pedophilia. These are the arguments that used to be made. Possibly even destroy the entire democratic system. In an op-ed, 2005, Mike Johnson wrote, this is a free country, but we don't give special protections for every person's bizarre choices. He even said that soon we'll have to do it if we legalize this which was not the majority opinion in America in 2005, to be fair, we'll have to give uh, the same rights to polygamists, pedophiles. I, how do you make the turn from people who are gay to pedophiles, people who abuse children? Uh, there'll be no legal basis to deny a bisexual the right to marry a partner of each sex or a person to marry his pet. And this is a little um, quote from a House Judiciary Committee hearing in which Mike Johnson attacked what was then the law of the land, Roe v. Wade, saying that if only women were compelled 
to bring more able-bodied workers into the world, Republicans wouldn't need to slash Social Security and Medicare. But I, I don't have any doubt that Republicans will give the new speaker some running room, even if he is needing to compromise with Democrats, for example, to avoid the government shutting down. Maybe a different speaker, as we saw with McCarthy, doesn't get that luxury. But what are they going to do? Are they going to block it again? Someone going to try to kick him out of the job? You know, we face a lot of important deadlines, including the House wants to pass aid to Israel. Many Republicans do not want to couple that as President Biden has offered, or is advocating, I should say, aid to Ukraine, and Mike Johnson is opposed to further aid to Ukraine, or as the GOP likes to put it, a blank check. So a lot of battles to be fought in a short period of time with the new Speaker of the House at the helm. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Number two, a New York judge yesterday fining Donald Trump $10,000 for violating a gag order in that civil fraud lawsuit involving him and his company and warned the former president that the penalties will only get worse. Remember, his first um, penalty from Judge Arthur Engeron was $5,000. Now it's ten. I got to say, in this particular case, I think Trump got a bum rap, and here's why. So he's got the gag order outside the courtroom, as he does whenever he goes to a courthouse in one of his many legal battles. Trump told reporters, actually in a hallway in the courthouse, that Engeron is a very partisan judge. He is a Democrat with a person who's very partisan sitting alongside of him, perhaps even more partisan than he is. So what prompted the original gag order was when Trump criticized the judge's law clerk on Truth Social, and then he was ordered to delete that post and, and claim falsely that she was the girlfriend of Chuck Schumer, even though that all that happened is that he once, she once had a picture taken with the Senate Majority Leader. So the whole reason that Trump is there, he's not required to be there, is because Michael Cohen is testifying. His former fixer, his former lawyer, who has been denouncing him for some five years now. And so Trump was actually called up to testify in front of the judge. And Trump said when he was made those comments to reporters, he was talking about two people, the judge and Michael Cohen. 
And Judge Angoran said, I don't find the witness to be credible, that he believed that Trump was referring to his top law clerk, who was much closer to me in terms of the seating in the courtroom. I'm very protective of my staff, as I believe I should be. I don't want anyone killed, says Angoran. And common sense will just tell you that he was talking about Michael Cohen. So that's why I think he got a bum rap. Do I, do I cheer Trump when he continues to attack prosecutors and judges in these various cases? No. I think he is almost challenging them repeatedly to find him uh, violating the gag order, of which there are two, one in this um, civil case in New York and one in uh, the federal cases. And then after all this happens, the former president of the United States puts up this post. The New York State, excuse me, the New York State Attorney General's case against me is dead, but the radical left judge refuses, all caps, to end it. He just can't let it go. Their star witness lied like a dog on the stand today and then admitted that I did nothing wrong, a total sleazebag. Well, Donald Trump may consider Michael Cohen to warrant that label, but he certainly didn't say Trump did nothing wrong. In fact, he repeatedly said that he carried out Trump's wishes uh, to inflate the value of his net worth, of certain properties, uh, and that's what's at the heart of this New York civil case. Um, just dipping into the campaign for a minute, Ron DeSantis the other day um, seemed to take a shot at Trump's abilities, saying that Retail politics, he said this in New Hampshire, is about being able to answer questions. And what Donald Trump does now, says the Florida governor, he is wedded to the teleprompter. He can't get off that teleprompter. Anytime he does, he says things like, don't vote. He's telling people not to vote, like we have all the votes we need, really. Wait a minute, you lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton in 2016. You don't have all the votes you need. And so I think it's just shown this is a different Donald Trump than in 2015 and 16. Lost a zip on his fastball. Has a sense of entitlement. Well, I wonder what the campaign would have looked like if Ron DeSantis had taken those kind of direct shots at the former president when he first got in the race, rather than just a couple of subtle jabs here and there. But now that he is substantially behind and Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina are drawing closer, it sounds much more like DeSantis is taking off the gloves. But Trump's now got the huge lead, as we talked about yesterday. Story number three. Here's a piece in National Review that combines the war in the Middle East with the campaign. Republican presidential candidates are grappling with how to stem the tide of campus anti-Semitism that reared its ugly head after Hamas terrorists slaughtered 1,400 Israelis. What's going on in college campuses is beyond my ability to understand. I understand sympathy for the Palestinians. I understand if students and some faculty members don't want to support Israel. I don't understand cheering on the kind of terrorist atrocities that Hamas has committed. So what are the uh, students saying about it? Excuse me, what are the candidates saying about it? Senator Tim Scott, devastating to see people in our own country marching and celebrating an absolute terrorist organization for the annihilation of our Jewish brothers and sisters. I got to tell you, if any of those students on college campuses are foreign nationals on a visa, 
They should be sent back to their country, Senator Scott said. Anyone who stands up and says they want to kill Jews, they support terrorism. They should have that visa revoked. DeSantis also calling for the deportation of foreign students who are, quote, out there celebrating terrorism. And he said if he's elected, he would cancel their visas and send them home. Trump also says revoke the visas of students who are radical, anti-American, and anti-Semitic foreigners. Nikki Haley, her spokesman telling National Review, she also supports revoking visas. Make no mistake, the spokesman said, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. We need to root out this poison spreading across our campuses. As President Nikki will cut federal funds to schools that don't crack down on anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, investigate the funders of pro-Hamas student groups, deny and cancel visas for terrorist sympathizers. Um, but the Biden administration not going along with these proposals. John Kirby, of course, the National Security Council spokesman, saying, I would just tell you that you don't have to agree with every sentiment that is expressed in a free country like this to stand by the First Amendment and the idea of peaceful protest. Um, DeSantis' press secretary saying, I know this is a tough concept for you to grasp, so I'll explain it in as few words as possible. They have a right to free speech. They don't have a right to be in the United States. But I do wonder about the legality of kicking out students on visas because of their political views. I mean, personally, I find it abhorrent that they are cheering on Hamas terrorists. But the whole point of the First Amendment is that you don't get to pick and choose what kind of speech is acceptable. Not letting them in the first place, that's a different story. I think, you know, any country should have control of its borders. But you do wonder if this could happen, what about the next time there's a conflict in some other part of the world and students who are here on a visa or other foreign nationals here on a visa express their sympathy for whatever country or group they feel affiliated with and whoever is in charge, who's ever in the White House at that point, tries to kick them out. It's a little bit of a constitutional slippery slope. All right, number four, latest on the war. Israeli military saying today it had briefly sent tanks into the northern part of the Gaza Strip as part of preparations for the next stage of fighting. Bibi Netanyahu gave a televised speech. He seemed to indicate that a ground invasion was at least imminent or likely. Second time, at least the second time, that Israel had conducted a limited ground raid in Gaza. The military saying it hit multiple targets and operated to prepare the battlefield. Now, that of course makes it sound like this ground invasion is happening, you know, I don't know, tomorrow. But we've been through several rounds of this where IDF, or Israeli Defense Forces, uh, spokespeople have hinted that we're getting very close. Netanyahu at the beginning of the war suggested that this was coming. What's happening is the United States, while insisting it's not telling Israel what to do, 
has asked Israel to delay the ground invasion for at least a few more days, according to the New York Times, to give uh, the Biden team more time to protect American troops at bases in the region, some of whom have been shot at and killed. Biden administration is also trying to buy more time for hostage negotiations. I can't say I'm terribly optimistic about that. So there have been a lot of head fakes on this, but it seems to me if Bibi goes on TV and you know essentially says we are preparing for this next deadly stage, that if there's no invasion, that would be used against him politically. Meanwhile, given the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, fuel shortages so dire that the UN agency that uh, has tried to provide help in Gaza to the Palestinians there for decades said it's reducing its operations and exhausted its reserves, or, or almost exhausted its reserves of fuel, which it needs to run generators. Israel has blocked fuel from entering Gaza on the grounds that it could be used for rockets, which obviously it still is because Hamas is still firing rockets. But whereas uh, a couple of days ago, 20 trucks with food, water, medicine, have gotten into Gaza under the deal worked out between President Biden and Egypt and Israel. Um, no trucks got in yesterday, zero, because the Israelis said they still needed more time to inspect these trucks. Meanwhile, uh, the UN says, you know, 100 trucks a day are needed, not 20, and yesterday it was zero. So you can't take the position that what happened to Israeli uh, civilians who were horribly murdered and slaughtered uh, in a premeditated fashion is tragic if many civilians in Gaza, civilians, and I know it's difficult to single them out because of the way that Hamas uses them as human shields, but if families and children are dying inadvertently, but still dying as a result of the bombings, the ground invasion is going to be even worse for bloodshed on both sides. And people don't have enough food and water. Um, you have to have equal sympathy for those families, many of whom evacuated their homes in the north after threats by Israel. That's where most of the... Uh, Violence and attacking was going to be, that still may be the case in terms of the ground invasion, but there have been attacks in the southern part of Gaza as well. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number five, President Biden apparently realizes that asking for this uh, huge package, $100 billion for aid to Israel, aid to Ukraine, a much lesser amount of aid to Taiwan, and more money for border security, would make him look like he basically was prioritizing other countries around the world. So Washington Post reports that the White House aides are preparing to propose another $50 billion in spending on 
urgent domestic needs, according to sources. This will call for more funding for child care, high-speed internet access, natural disaster relief, and firefighters battling wildfires, among other domestic priorities. This according to the OMB. Not exactly clear how much money for each program, but this certainly gives you the idea. Now, Dean Baker, who's an economist at a left-leaning think tank and an ally of the White House, quoted as saying, I think it makes sense for Biden to throw something out there when Republicans are saying that Democrats care more about people in Ukraine and Israel than they do about the people here. What's Donald Trump have to say about this? Crooked Joe went before the American people and said that if you want to support Israel, you have to give a blank check for the proxy war also in Ukraine. The president didn't use the phrase blank check, but Republicans love to use it. Having, not, having to do with Russia and Ukraine. This was at a rally in New Hampshire the other day. So, obviously, it's smart politics to try to show, for the White House to try to show, that sure, while the President of the United States says we have an urgent need to protect Ukraine from being run over and annexed, essentially, by the Russians who've committed many war crimes, and this is obviously an easier sale due to domestic politics, but we have an, also a sacred obligation to um, provide billions and billions of dollars in aid in weaponry. We don't want the Israelis running out of rockets or munitions to our closest ally in the Middle East to balance that with more spending on domestic needs, except, you know, especially with some of the bills passed during the pandemic, not to mention uh, the scaled-down version of what was once called and derided as Build Back Better, um, the Biden administration has spent a huge amount of money on domestic priorities, and especially climate change, as well as health care, etc. And so the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, and probably reflecting the views of his caucus, are not going to, he's not going to want to spend their whole purpose right now is to reduce federal spending. So he supports aid to Israel. He doesn't support aid to Ukraine, but there may have to be a compromise there. And I'm sure if you estimate each individual thing, like fighting wildfires, Congressman Johnson, Speaker Johnson, and many Republicans will say, yeah, that's a really important U.S. priority. But they would point to other programs and saying, why are we spending money on this? So especially since he will just have taken office as Speaker, I don't think it's going to be a slam dunk for Biden to get this additional $50 billion, let alone the 70 or so billion dollars. You know, in Washington, we just throw these numbers around uh, just for Israel and Ukraine. So big political battles coming up and a guy that you never heard of, most of you, until a few days ago, will be at the center of many of these battles. So I uh, appreciate your listening as we try every day to be informative, be provocative, let you know how the media are covering these stories and let you know my thoughts as well. 
Hope to see you back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.